Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. And he begins by saying, now, Amalek. Now, if you're a Bible student, you know that the Amalekites were actually cousins of the Israelites. They were the grandsons of Jacob's twin brother Esau. And if you, if you really go back and recall, you know, years ago, we talked about Esau a little bit. Esau was the one who gave up his Abrahamic lineage, his Abrahamic birthright, for simply a bowl of, of lentils. And, and I believe the New King James Version called it red stew. Esau is the personification of a person that takes God for granted. And he's the only person in all of Scripture that the Bible says God hated. The lessons from his life, we're not going to dig into all this, but the lessons of his life are, are at least three. Number one, never give up what you need most for what you want now. Number two, you can't be free to follow God and be a slave to your appetite at the same time. Number three, even small choices can have drastic consequences. So when you go home, if you want to read up on that, just go into Genesis 25 and you'll see all that. The Bible says, now, Amalek, Esau's descendants came looking for a fight. Now, some people are always looking for trouble. But the battle they're really fighting is not so much with you, it's really within themselves. And they fought with the Israel in Rephidim. Now, in a moment, we're going to move to Deuteronomy, but what we're going to discover is this attack was unprovoked. This attack was also particularly cruel. And typically, God tells us to forgive and forget. But to Israel, this particular attack was a lot like our 9-11. God told Israel to never forget what happened. Deuteronomy digs in. Let's go there. It's verse 25 and 17. God says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, the Exodus. And the Amalekites were very much like the, the Midianites, and we talked about this maybe a year ago uh, when we were talking about Gideon. They were very, very fierce nomadic tribe, and these people tended to kill for pleasure. It's one thing to kill in self-defense, but they killed for pleasure. And also the Amalekites kind of made their livelihood out of uh, raiding and attacking innocent farm people. The reputation of the Amalekites was so reprehensible that one of the greatest insults you could give an in, in, in Israeli was to say that they were a friend of an Amalekite. So verse 18, it says, Remember what Amalek did, how he met you on the way, and watch this, and attacked your rear ranks, meaning the Amalekites intentionally attacked the noncombatants. They intentionally attacked the women, the children, the sick, the weak, all the stragglers at the rear. Even according to ancient standards, this was despicable behavior. 
And they watched and, and they waited. They spied out. And, and right where the people, when the people were the weariest and, and tired, they went at them. And what we need to know here, this was not just kind of uh, an incident that happened. We have to understand Esau was part of the Abrahamic family. And uh, his tribe knew that God had promised rulership to the land of Jacob to the descendants of his brother Jacob. But still, they attacked. And it's the next clause that tells us the real story here. And he did not fear God. Now, especially when you're dating. How many of y'all in here dating? Okay, no one wants to let anybody know. Okay. <laughs> especially when you're dating or maybe choosing a business partner. When a person does not respect God, no, in the long run, they're not going to have a whole lot of respect for you either. Now, please pay attention. I'm not saying everyone needs to love God. But when there's no respect at all, that a, I mean, even unbelievers have a sense that I'm going to give an answer for my life at some point. But when a person has no respect for God, like Esau, you are in a different category of folk. Exodus 17, 9. Let's get back. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out to fight. Now, up until this point in the book of Exodus, all the battles God fought for the children of Israel. And he did it without shield or without sword. Remember, Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea. The Egyptians did nothing to defeat the, the Egyptian army. God just closed back up the water. When they were hungry, what happened? God caused bread to come down from heaven. When they got thirsty, what did he cause? He caused water to come out of, out of a rock. So it, this has been a powerful and God-only type of experience. God was fighting the battles. God was getting it done. But here it says, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Now, you might not feel this way if you were these men, but what had happened is about a, a half million former slaves had finally graduated. And the season had changed. Their maturity level had begun to grow. And it would no longer be just God fighting for them, but watch this, God fighting through them. You see, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So when you're a little baby boy, mom and dad, they'll go fight for you. But there comes a time where you can't call mama. You can't reach daddy. You hear what I'm saying? You know, God knows it's important, particularly for those of us going through some things right now. And you're saying, well, God, why haven't you worked that miracle the way you did last time? God knows that life is tough. So he says to his children, I must make you tougher. Choose some men, I'm going to teach you how to fight. It can seem mean when God backs up and you get a bloody nose. It can seem mean when God, he, now he's just standing there. He could stop this thing. But you find yourself with your head spinning. You, you find yourself in a situation where someone's trying to take you apart. And God just kind of watched. It's part of the growing experience. 
He said, choose some men. I need y'all to learn how to fight. Then he said, tomorrow. Maybe you were attacked today. Maybe you were caught off guard today. Maybe someone took a cheap shot today. Maybe someone that was supposed to protect you hurt you today. Maybe someone who, who knew better didn't do better today. God may not change what happened yesterday, but he can change what happens tomorrow. Tomorrow, I will stand on the top of the hill. Moses received instructions. And what he's about to do is position himself on a place where the people could see him and he could see the people. And this is a great illustration of what leadership is supposed to be all about, both a coach and a model. Moses said, tomorrow, we're going to learn how to fight. And by the way, the first time something happens, it's the law of first mention, if you will, God reveals significant things about that reality. So if you want to learn how to fight a spiritual battle, this is the place in the Old Testament to take a look. He said, I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Now, the rod symbolized or represented the fact that the battle was the Lord's and, and, and that that the battle would be won through God's power. Famous theologian David Guzak says, he says this, God called it the rod of Moses, so he honored Moses. But Moses called it the rod of God, and so honored God. And this kind of captures our walk with God. It's a blend of human instrumentality as well as God's sovereignty. And it's this mixture of God doing it and then us doing our part. And you can never really get away from that combination. Verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him. When God gives you godly leaders, listen to them. I ain't get a whole lot of amens on that. You shouldn't need 10 position papers on every decision. 50 sermons, 30 texts, 20 emails, 50 deacons meetings. I get no help here. In order for a decision to be brought forward, watch this. So Joshua, watch this, amazing, did as Moses said. We need more Joshua's than Moses today. And he went out into the valley and fought with Amalek. You see, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world. So if you want to win this this battle, we must, number one, we're going to learn some things right here. We're going to get through it quick, though. And it's all on your your handout if you can't uh, remember it all. Number one, we got to trust his timing. Number two, now yesterday they lost, but the next day or tomorrow they're about to win. Number one, trust his timing. Number two, rely on his promises. Number three, wait for his answers. Number four, do what he says. Number five, believe in his miracles. Number six, rejoice in his goodness. Number seven, rest in his presence. And it's that last one I struggle with the most. And Moses, Aaron, who was Moses' big brother, and her, all three of them. And Josephus tells us that her 
was actually the husband of Miriam, who was the sister of Moses, which means that her would have been the brother-in-law of Moses. And it's so much easier to fight battles when you know that your brothers and sisters got your back. I mean, people, you only have to ask for, for help because they got you. And this is the way it was with Aaron and her. So Moses, Aaron, and her went up to the top of the hill. Now, if I were, were Moses, this is probably where I would have gotten a little bit of trouble with God. I would have been like, well, 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 God, now, you just did 10 plagues to get us out of Egypt, right? I mean, these were incredible, phenomenal plagues. So what are we fighting for? I mean, you're God. You know, God, I'll take a, a, a number two, some angry frogs, that's plague number two. I'll take a, a number six, some painful boils, and, and a number seven, some fiery hail, and then a bag of fries while I watch. But God was trying to build something in his people. So sometimes God doesn't do all the fighting for you. He wants to do it through you so you can mature and graduate. And so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. Now his hands being held up, of course, represented prayers to God. But also the Egyptians also, that they would use rods to signal and direct various divisions into attack. So, you know, the, the pharaoh or general might be there and point over there, and then that division will go, and, and then it point over there, that division will go in, in, into battle. And, and when Moses was able to relay God's messages, meaning God was giving him wisdom on, on how to win the fight, God wasn't necessarily fighting it for him. He was fighting it through him. So, so he had to get this wisdom. And, and every time he was able to relay the message, the people of God succeeded. But when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. You know, what you hear on Sundays might have more to do with your life than you ever, ever imagined. You know, hearing God's voice is the very difference between success and failure. And as long as Israel looked up and followed the directions of, of Moses' rod, they were God. But then came a problem and our focus today. Verse 12. But Moses' hands became heavy, supporting the battle by prayer became difficult. You may think praying is easy and fighting in the valley with Josh was really the dangerous thing and the hard thing. That just tells me, though, that you haven't really prayed very much. True prayer can be intense. In fact, Colossians 4 and 12 tells us a little bit more about this. Paul is speaking and vouching for Epaphras. He said, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant or a slave. You know, we, we, I, I get so saddened sometimes watching people. They, they start coveting ministry positions. And they don't understand what ministry is. A bondservant is someone who's decided to be a slave. Minister literally means slave. So to be in ministry is not about the, 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 the parking spot. It's not about the title bishop, deacon, elder. 
It's not about people acknowledging you and nodding at you. It's about none of that. It's really about service. And if we see service, he's even too cute. It's too cute. He called him a bond servant, a slave of Christ, meaning your life is not your life anymore. You are not just living it for you, but for those you serve. And he said, Epaphras greets you, watch this, always laboring fervently. Now, the Greek word translated labor is from the root agonia or agonia, where we get the English word agonize. Agonize or agonia speaks of intense, often life and death struggle. In Colossians 1 and 29, it was used to describe Paul's ministry. In 1 Timothy 6 and 12, it describes the good fight. It's a fight. Sometimes you got to agonize to believe and agonize against doubt and fear. It describes the fight of faith. In Luke 22 and 44, the actual term agonize is used in the New King James Version, and it describes Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane. And on and on, we see this, this term, agonia. And it says this, Epaphras was a slave of Christ. He says, hello, but what I want to tell you about him is that he always, meaning morning, evening, and afternoon, labors fervently for you in what? Prayers. Meaning he woke up in the middle of the night calling out people's names. Every now and then, I'll, I'll say to the office, hey, I, 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 I'm going I'm to leave, you know, it's, it's 3 o'clock, and, and I'm going to go home and spend some time in prayer. Now, with some people here, his bishop's taking a half day. You have no idea. To carry someone in prayer, when you are... When you were calling on God's name for someone, and you start stepping into intercession. You can start feeling what they're feeling. You start facing the demon they've been facing. You begin to call. And by the way, when you go to God in this type of prayer, you're not praying for yourself. It's easy to pray for me. But you're praying sometimes people don't even like you. You might be praying for a president of a different party. I get a lot of help here. But, but you're carrying that name, the child's in the hospital, too young to die. And, 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 and you're texting mom and dad, seeing how the, how, how the young boy's doing, and, and you're calling out that name and saying, dear God, by his stripes he's healed. God, it will be long life, you'll satisfy that boy and show him your redemption. And, and then you go to sleep. And you wake up at 1 o'clock, and you're thinking about that boy, and dear God, with long life, you said, you're satisfied. Dear God, by his stripes, you're healed. Dear God, I, I bless you, Lord, oh my soul, all this for me. Lord, forget not all your benefits, Lord, you heal all our diseases. God, raise him up from the bed. Then you get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, the same person's face is on your mind. And you're praying, and you're staying at it. But then you just don't have one person. You have 5,000 people. And you got issues in your own house. You got issues in your own life. And you're calling on, on God for others. 
And it said about Epaphras, he always labors. He ain't lazy. If he got a prayer assignment, he got the job done. He didn't do two Hail Marys, walk away, and said, I did my duty. When you carry someone in your spirit, that's a, a, an intense, sometimes even arduous enterprise. He said he was laboring fervently for you in prayers. Why? Not for himself, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. When we fight our battles on our knees, we win. Exodus 17, again, 12. But Moses' hands started getting heavy. You see, people that don't know God and don't know the Bible, they think that if the load gets heavy, you're necessarily out of God's will. I'm here to tell you. You have not entered ministry until you have some days you don't think you can hold up anymore. You have not become a leader until you have some days your arms are trembling and, 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 and everything in you says, I can't do this, God, anymore. May I get personal? You don't become a Moses-level leader until you give, until you have nothing left. Your friend, dear friend, your first convert, your chief church administrator dies. Your pastor, his wife get on an airplane, plane crash. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.